He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? And we're live. Welcome, everybody, to this uh, special live edition of the uh, Anthony Irwin Show slash Silver Screen and Roll Show. Whatever you guys want to call it, this is going to be uh, myself, you guys, some of our uh, uh, Silver Screen and Roll uh, podcasters and writers are going to pop in here as well. We are all going to go through what has already been kind of a wild day. Um, as always, we're going to start with some of the questions that were sent in uh, to the iTunes mailbag. So let's go ahead and, and knock those out first. Uh, first, a good friend of Harrison's is saying, awesome of Harrison to help out Anthony and give him a platform where he can vocalize his thoughts and inflate his ego with show titles named after him. That's exactly what this is. It's crazy. I think I might do another one. I'm just going to keep naming everything the Anthony Irwin Show. Uh, the next question here from uh, bbully16. Uh, hey, Anthony, love the new show. As a Lakers fan, I'm disappointed with the season. Uh, I just added Aaron Larsoul to this thing as well. Um, I, as a Lakers fan, I am disappointed with the season, no doubt, but all the signs were there even in the preseason. I wanted to ask, how can we are ignoring the patterns of LeBron James? Let's be honest, he quit on this team. He did it in Cleveland until they traded Dion Waiters and others. He did it again in Cleveland until they traded Wade and Rose. Uh, and then he did it in L.A. until they traded Ball and the kids. No doubt another man's injury or health, uh, but his injuries seem to come when he knows his teams don't stand a chance or he isn't bought in. Uh, I just flatly disagree. The guy is clearly shown um, inability to – like he wouldn't be as, as consistently healthy as he's been – over the entirety of his career, if every time he was annoyed with his team, he would just not show up. Now, does his energy kind of wane sometimes, depending on the situation? Yeah, but that's to be expected of everybody. That, uh, and not just athletes. That's everybody. If you aren't thrilled with your job, you probably aren't going to work as hard as you are when you are in love with the job that you that you're currently holding. So. Uh, no, I don't think that LeBron has quit on this team. There were some stretches where his energy would say that maybe he doubted Frank Vogel in the situation, but I don't think he has ever like sat out because he is, is not willing to try and go out there and play for the team that he has around him. Aaron, uh, did you, did the, uh, did the speaker work for you? All right, so uh, Aaron, I'm I'm kind of curious here on you know did you did were you able to hear that question? Uh, I did, and I also heard the uh, the shout out to Harrison for you giving a platform giving you a platform for your ego. I did hear that. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's where we are. But <laughs> but whatever. Uh, uh, what do you think about the question and and my response to it? That I I don't think LeBron when he gets hurt or when he sits out is him quitting on the team. Uh, I agree, and I think you're, the thrust of your answer is, is generally correct. I think that, look, it is human nature to, um, you know, sometimes I think LeBron gets frustrated with the situation, which is human nature. But I think that because LeBron is such an alien 
and we are so used to that he never misses games and he is playing a thousand percent um, at all times that the last couple seasons um, that he has suffered some injuries that we've never seen before somebody, you know, hold off father time like this. The fact that father time may be nipping at his heels more than it ever has. And probably five or six or seven years later than it does for most, I think is kind of uh, making people think that it is something that, that it isn't. And, and I will say he has been hurt more than he ever has the last few years, but last year was kind of a freak injury. This one and, and um, the groin injury in, in on Christmas in golden state, um, is a different matter, but um, yeah, I, I don't think LeBron has has quit on on this team. But I think it is fair to to assume that he, you know, has perhaps been frustrated at times. Yeah, I I just <laughs> I think it's so easy to overthink things with LeBron that it's it's really easy for people to get carried away with with these areas. Now, like some of it, he does kind of feed into. I think sometimes where he's so passive aggressive and. And a lot of the things that he says, you know, there's some kind of underlying meaning usually to them. But when it comes to his body, because like, here's the thing, LeBron isn't just playing for the teams that he's playing on, right? Like he's, he's one of those caliber of players where he has the potential to get Kareem's uh, regular season scoring record, right? And he has the potential to put up stats that, no athlete in the history of the sport has ever been able to put together. So to think that he would like skip out on that and those opportunities because he's annoyed with the team that he has around him. I just, I just flatly disagree. I just don't think that's what's going on. Yeah. I, I, I 100% agree with you. And by the way, he is going to pass Kareem and yeah. he is going to finish ahead of magic and assists and, and all of those things. So um, yeah. And, and that, those things, LeBron is a, a big student of the game and those things matter to him. So the idea that he's not going to look, no, he, he hasn't consistently given the defensive effort that he used to give. Yeah. Um, how much of that is frustration? Maybe some of it, <clears throat> excuse me, how much of that is, you know, finally age and having to kind of modulate when he's going to go at full throttle. That's probably some of it too, but those things matter to LeBron and he's not missing games on purpose. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, that's that's enough kind of tinfoil theory and 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 trying to get into LeBron's head uh, for my liking. There's a lot going on today, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> the 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 league uh, and the Kings especially decided to start day drinking on a Tuesday afternoon. And uh, you know what? We're all the more entertained for it. Aaron, is there which trade do you want to start with from today? Do you want to start with the uh, the Kings trade? <laughs> so, uh, the, Indi <laughs> the Indiana Pacers sent DeMontis Sabonis, uh, to the Kings, uh, for a package that included Tyrese Halliburton also in the trade two Jeremy lambs as initially reported by Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, one of those lambs turned into Justin holiday and a 2027 second rounder, um, for Halliburton healed and Tristan Thompson would imagine Thompson probably gets bought out, but who knows? Uh, what do you think? I I know initially my first thought was like, holy crap, of the guards that they were going to give up on, I was not I, I was not gambling on that guard being moved, being Halliburton. I he's my favorite Kings guard in, in quite a little while. Uh and and he is now in Indiana. Yeah, that was my initial reaction too. And and 
I think the kind of overarching point is that when teams say somebody is unavailable, don't believe them. Um, it means incre- it means increase your offer. Um, there are maybe like six actually untouchable guys in the NBA. You know, LeBron's not getting traded. Anthony Davis is not getting traded. Steph's not getting traded. KD is not getting traded. Giannis isn't getting traded. And Jokic isn't getting traded. After that, like, man, maybe Embiid. Like, after that, that's probably the list. Um, everybody is touchable in the NBA. Every contract is movable. So um, a lot of that is, is always posturing. But I, I agree with you. I, I thought that if the Kings were going to part with somebody, and it was, al- it was always kind of strange, right? They had Fox. They had drafted Halliburton last year um, and had Buddy Heald and then also drafted Davion Mitchell. And the four of them just simply were not going to coexist long term. I thought it was Fox that was going to be most likely to get moved. Um, but I think Indiana did a fantastic job here. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. Going back to my Portland days, I know Chad Buchanan, the GM there. And I, and I texted him and said, I think you did an amazing job. It was, I think it was a fantastic trade. I think it was the Kings kangzing as usual um but star star power matter name value and star pattern power has always mattered to the kings um when they're really really good they have great fans there but you know they have trouble even with the new building they have have trouble getting fans there so to be able to say look we got an all-star uh sabonis has been an all-star when they get to say we look we got an all-star in the headlines you could theoretically um, say you won the trade, but anybody that's paying attention and even, you know, smart Kings fans are, are pretty bitter today. Uh, there's also some question as to, you know, uh, this is like, I, 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 I'm not sure about lamb, but, uh, but holiday has been very vocal about his, uh, his vaccination status. And there's some question. I thought that it only applied to LA, San Francisco and New York, but, uh, I've seen some stuff floating around questioning whether or not he'll even be able to play home games in Sacramento. So that's another kind of layer to all of this. I, I just like flat out think the Pacers won the trade. I, I'm not, I'm not in the, I'm not in the business of trading for big guys or acquiring big guys that don't guard and, and Sabonis for everything he does very well offensively. And he's a really good player, like a defense that's based around him and, and De'Aaron Fox, you're sunk already. Like you're just, you're not going to be able to guard. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a lot going on there. The vaccine stuff, like you know, I, I find I find some of the stances that uh, are out there kind of ridiculous with with what they allow and what they don't or whatever. But that's a different that's a different story altogether. What I what I will say though that you know for those athletes who you know in Kyrie's case and now potentially in Holiday's case, like. However you feel about them, you are now making yourself less available for your team. And just from a competitive standpoint, I think you're you're really getting yourself into some some issues there. Kyrie can get away with it because he's Kyrie freaking Irving, Ir- Irvin, Irving. Good lord. Uh, but you know, yeah, one one of those guys. Um, but like Justin Holiday taking a hard line stance on that and maybe not being as available, like. You gotta, you gotta kind of check who where you're, you're standing in your league before you take that kind of a stance. Um, now, like as far as the Kings here, so I also don't really understand trading for Sabonis when you have Rashawn Holmes, when you have, you know, 
I understand they had a glut of guards, so you're trying to turn one of your guards into something at a different position, but why wouldn't that position and they did, you know, they did get Lamb and they did get Holiday. Uh and so that that is a couple of wings that you're adding uh there on the perimeter. But like if you're if you're trading you know, how no matter how you feel about De'Aaron Fox versus Ty- Tyrese Halliburton as far as talents, those guys like Fox has already been paid and Halliburton is probably going to be cheaper longer term than Fox has been and is currently. So in terms of the more valuable asset, you're you're trading away your most valuable asset for a player at a position that you're already kind of packed at. And and a position, by the way, that, you know, yeah, like you said, Aaron, Sabonis is a nice offensive player, and he does a lot of things on that end of the court that are great. But I kind of I kind of compare bigs in the NBA to running backs in the NFL, where, you know, if you're you're if you're one of those 45 running backs that is capable of running up the middle for four ish yards per carry. And you aren't particularly great blocking and you don't catch the ball out of the backfield. That really limits what your team is able to do in that aspect of the game. And if you're one of those running backs and your team is paying you at an elite level and you, and you're a limited running back and, and not to say that, you know, I think it's kind of an oversimplification to call Sabonis a limited player here, but on one end of the court, he he leaves stuff on the table and he's expecting to be paid and treated like one of those bigs who don't. And and I think that's where you really kind of get yourself into trouble when you're turn when you're turning an asset who doesn't leave much on the table for one that does, just because of I guess name and I some Sacramento Kings fans out there, I would love for you to chime in. But I DeMontis Sabonis being a former all-star is is moving the needle here <laughs> like if that's what they're doing i just you know it's the kings on the court no but in in the press conference sure like being able to don't underestimate especially with the kings don't underestimate being able to send out a press release or try to win the press conference that says you know we acquired this guy who was former six man of the year or former all-star or former three-time all-star or whatever and by the way even really good teams do that too right like uh, the Lakers, for example, you know, when, when you sign Carmelo, you get to say however many time, whatever. Future Hall of Famer. Right. 10-time or 12-time All-Star. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> but so these things, these things, these things matter, right? These things, uh, these things matter to teams because not every, not every fan out there, not every paying customer, not everybody that's going to buy a ticket is going to be. Now, I, I think NBA fans are smarter generally and know the game better than NFL fans. I don't know if baseball has any fans anymore, so I won't get into that, but, so I, but I, so I <laughs> just cause you're eight suck, man. Like that's oh, not, God. Oh God. <laughs> so I think that is, I think that is generally true. Um, but there is still a large segment and probably the majority. Let's not think that Twitter, you know, everybody in here is, in knows the analytics and stuff, but let's not assume that Twitter and the hardcore fans are the majority of the fans. I think for Sacramento Kings fans, perhaps ones that we don't see on Twitter and, and are less educated possibly and just want to go to the games and just enjoy it can look at that and say, damn, we got an all-star, right? That, that matters, especially for struggling franchises. I, you know, I've, I've been pretty clear about that. I grew up a Warriors fan. The Warriors sucked forever until the, until Steph Curry came around. But one of the big things they, 
they had a, they traded with the Knicks and traded for David Lee, and it was a big deal that David Lee was an all-star. Was he any good? Not really. But the fact that you could say for these teams that aren't any good, the fact that you can say, hey, look, we got an all-star, even a recent all-star, that allows you some juice in the press conference. And maybe there are going to be some people in Sacramento that are going to buy tickets to the Golden One Center because they say, shit, we got an all-star. Let's go see him. Oh, hell yeah. We just got Chris Gatling in 1997. Let's go. Let's bring on. I'm curious about this. You know, clearly we're sending this out from Silver Skin and Roll. And by the way, if you guys enjoy what Aaron and I do here, um, we, you know, we are going to be doing Jazz and I are going to be doing some kind of version of this on the other side of the trade deadline on Thursday. That's going to be from the SB Nation main account. So it's going to be more of a NBA broader discussion there. And then leading up to the, the to the trade deadline in that half hour before then, for those of you who tune into the pressure cookers that I do, which by the way, we're doing one tonight because the Lakers are playing the Bucks on national TV. Um, we're going to be doing a round table type of discussion with some of the other site managers from around SB nation in the half hour leading up to the trade deadline as well. You could check my Twitter at uh, Anthony Irwin LA for a full release on everything that we're going to be doing there. All right, let's bring on um, Edwin, who has been on here a couple times with us previously, uh, because I'm kind of curious for Lakers fans, if like if you're looking at the Kings now and saying, are they more or less dangerous than they were previously? So, so Edwin, where are you standing on that? Do you think the Lakers are more or less concerned about the Kings waking up today than they were before this trade? <laughs> Fair. Touche, touche. But it's still it's still relative. <laughs> yeah, they, they they were the summer league champs uh last year. So, you know, I, I didn't get a take, chance to take a picture with the with the trophy they had there. But yes, and, and you know, they're they're a developing franchise as they've been for a while. Um I, I'm not at this point I'm not too concerned with the Kings or that number ten seed and who that might be. I do think the Lakers. Maybe I'm I'm a little too optimistic, and this probably isn't the day to talk about it, given that they play the Bucks tonight. Uh, but I'm a little optimistic they can climb at least a little bit more and at least get, um, you know, hopefully the eighth or seventh seed and kind of avoid one of those lower tier teams. But we'll have to see kind of how it all works together. It's a lot to try to do. There's what like 25, 30 games left. You're bringing all these new players and. And, you know, we can debate upgrade or not, but it's still a lot to do. Now, granted, the 10 seats kind of open because it's, it's like, I think you can, you're like nine games below and you can still get that spot. But, you know, the Pelicans also made some moves. So maybe they're a team we need to be looking at and seeing how they're going to improve. And is Zion going to return? What's his timetable like? I'm not as connected with that, but I'm curious to see uh, what the Pelicans are going to look like now that they've also made some big trades. I'm more concerned with them than I would be the Kings. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. The Kings are, you know, the Kings, and they're all they, you know, they seem to always have been the Kings uh, since those series that the Lakers beat them in. But, but yeah, I, I still think it's worth kind of discussing because, you know, with with all right, so let's say the Kings are able to turn one of the other or a couple of the other bigs that they have into another wing or so, and let's see what they're able to get from Harrison Barnes and. If they enter more of a rebuilding phase than uh, best of luck, then I don't know why you make the DeMontis Sabonis trade in the first place, but but whatever. Uh, I, I, I do think that, uh, 
yeah, I'm less I'm less nervous about them. <laughs> like, like it's I I'm trying to look at it from like their perspective, but I just think they got worse. So Andy, I have a question for you about that. Yeah. Uh, right now, the way the Lakers are currently playing, where we are in the standings, and, and where the season is, are you more you know from the non-Laker perspective, looking at competition for the for the postseason, are you more concerned about who is around the playing range, seven to ten? Or are you more concerned about how the Lakers match up to a first-round matchup between one and two? What's kind of like, if you had to only invest X amount of hours on the non-Lakers games, what teams are you watching because you think they might be a deciding factor on how long the Lakers season lasts? Well, let me, let me I'm pulling up the standings right now. So the Lakers are currently at nine. The, uh, Lakers, the, are four, or the Lakers are four in the loss column out of six, which is what, look, I'm going to, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna be careful, but I'm gonna be honest here. Hennessy's the, uh, the Lakers. The Hennessy is delicious. The Lakers aren't beating the Warriors or the Suns. Period. Um, I think everybody else is on the table. So getting to the six seed, getting out of it now, it's four games in the loss column. That's gonna be tough to do. Um, but I think that still has to be the goal because even with LeBron and AD, and even if with both of them, look, you have a puncher's chance against anybody if both of them look like they are currently looking, but the Lakers aren't beating the Suns or the Warriors. There's a puncher's chance, but nobody thinks, the, nobody maybe outside of this space thinks the Lakers are, are beating the Suns or the Warriors. So I think the, the, making up those four games in the loss column, I think really matters. Outside of that, I think it is important to uh, be in the seven, eight playing game. So you have two chances to get in the playoffs, but I, I, I think the six, the six seed is still in play and still has to be the goal because I think it is very unlikely the Lakers beat either the Warriors or the Suns. Yeah, so as it stands right now, the four playing teams are Minnesota, the Clippers, the Lakers, and Pelicans. And uh, the Blazers just got worse. They're probably going to wind up tanking out the rest of the season. We'll see what the Spurs are, are able to do. They're trying to turn Pirtle into something, and um, you know, you, you, it's being reported that uh, Thad Young might get bought out. So it seems like we know the direction that they're heading in. I think the Kings just got worse. So, you know, I, I, I think what we're basically seeing right now is a fairly solidified with, you know, injuries notwithstanding uh, f- four play-in teams here between uh, the Timberwolves, the Clippers, the Lakers, and Pelicans. And of those three other teams, there isn't anybody that I'm particularly nervous about. Uh, when it comes to winning a a single game type of setting, so long as the Lakers have LeBron and AD, um, in terms of catching the Nuggets, I think what you're kind of hoping for is that there is kind of a a a down stretch at, if they get Jamal Murray back, trying to figure out how to play again with him and Jokic, and and seeing where he is at conditioning wise and all of that. But if Jamal does come back and he's able to get his legs underneath him, I don't think. I don't think there's enough time for the Lakers to make up four games on on the Nuggets this season. Uh, so I think they're probably going to be sitting in, you know, ideally the seven or eight spot so that you do have those two bites at the apple. Um, and then you are going to be facing against either Phoenix or Golden State. And that's why, like, this trade deadline is so interesting to me because, you know, with the way that AD is playing and with the way that we have seen LeBron play right before this latest knee injury... Those are two guys who were playing, you know, really, really good basketball. And if that's your starting point, then like, yeah, we can, you have a, a, a haymaker's chance at maybe forcing a game seven. And then in one game setting, you just never know how things are going to go. Uh, but if that's only kind of dependent on what kind of rust are we seeing here moving forward? 
And what are the Lakers turning THT none and maybe that 2027 first rounder into to try to get yourself a, a, a top five player lineup that you can, you know, definitively say, all right, this is our group. This is our winning group that we are always going to go to night in, night out. I don't think the Lakers have that group right now. And, and, and they definitely don't have one in terms of, uh, you know, players who have earned the coaches trust enough to put them in that that type of a setting. Like, I think their best lineup is probably Reeves, Monk, Johnson, LeBron, and AD. And then, you know, if you need more spacing, you could swap Melo out or whatever. Uh, but I don't think Reeves, it, it's really difficult if you're Frank Vogel and you know that you're probably already looking at your next destination as a head coach. It's really difficult to trust an undrafted rookie in that spot, especially if it means benching a future Hall of Famer and Russell Westbrook. Like, that's a story. That's a storyline every single time that happens. So I think what the Lakers need to do here is find a player who could more comfortably fit into that five-man group, see what Russ can turn into, and see if he can be less actively detrimental as often as he has been, and you kind of go from there. But but I don't... Aaron, you, you really think they can catch Denver here? Or, or do you, you know... No. It's another, no, it's another no. game and a half that they have to be able no. to catch Dallas. I don't see that no. happening, so... No. No, 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 no. Four games in the loss column with 20-whatever to go is a lot to make up. But I think that should still be the goal. Um, and we oh, have totally, not, yeah. We have, yeah. We, have not, we have not seen that downturn from Jokic yet. Uh, he has, he's played just about every game, if not every game. So do we see Jokic wearing down a little bit? Did you, as you said, do we see, you know, kind of some clunky fit issues as, as you're working Murray back in? I think that's something you hope for. I will add one caveat, though. While I do think it is incredibly important to be the seven or eight seed, I think it matters between the two because I think you don't want to play the Warriors. However, I would rather play Phoenix than the Warriors. However, I mean, we saw a little bit of what that looked like last year before, before AD, you know, wasn't able to go. However, that is if everybody's fully healthy. And back issues are incredibly tricky and always problematic. And they, are, they never seem linear. Now, if Draymond is not playing, the Warriors are playing well right now. They've won, I think they're like eight and four or nine and four. Uh, oh, excuse me, they're 12 and four and have won nine in a row since Draymond has been out. However, that's been against a fairly soft schedule. All the intel is that Draymond's saying he's fine and he's going to be back. And he's usually not one that is a turd polisher. He's usually going to tell you the truth. However, back issues are tricky. And if, and if he is not able to go, then I would much rather play the Warriors because Draymond has always been the answer for AD in those matchups. If Draymond is not able to go, AD is going to feast against the Warriors. Like, Kevon Looney's too slow. He's too small. It's just not going to work. So if everybody's healthy, no chance. I Well, not no chance. A puncher's chance, but no real chance against either one of them. Well, But I would rather play Phoenix. If Draymond is not fully Draymond – then I think there is a chance against the Warriors. Yeah, I, I Draymond's Yeah, Draymond's injury is is kind of like you know, it's not the one that I would just immediately pencil him into that playoff series with, right? When you're dealing with a back that that, you know, he's out kind of indefinitely with that back thing, they're trying to figure out what it might be. The other thing too with the way that he was playing earlier this season, and with what we've already seen that is in Steph's tank as well, like, does it make sense to really push him to get back into that playoff series 
this year if it might mean risking him long term. Like that's that's a discussion that they have to also have. And and uh, yeah, I, I think I think between Phoenix and the Warriors. I mean, I, I'd, I'd always much rather face a Chris Paul team than a Steph team in, in a playoff setting. Uh, but either way there, you're hoping for a lot to go right for the Lakers in order to to compete and extend that series against those teams. Unless, again, like, look, I, I, that, this was the next thing that I kind of wanted to talk about here is the returns on some of these guys. Like, I we've been hearing nonstop about ev- all these teams asking for the moon for various players and you know the 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 kings were unwilling to include both fox and halliburton for ben simmons and they just wind up sending halliburton to indiana anyway and cj mccollum was a player that we thought if he's going to get moved it's probably going to be for ben simmons and instead they the blazers wind up including nance in a trade to get josh hart and a couple other spare spare parts I, i i've been really kind of surprised at the lack of of overwhelming returns on some of these trades given that Aaron you and I and I you know I agreed with you at the time and part of me still is wondering like I thought this was supposed to be a seller's market where are these returns at have have you have you been processing this the same way or or am I underselling what these teams are actually getting back no, it hasn't. It, 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 they are coming to terms. Uh, I, I told you on the hook on, on Friday that I, there are a lot of deals that are already in place that people are just kind of waiting to see if they can do better. Um, but there was a, a lack of sellers. But obviously the Blazers and in some cases the Pacers, but the Blazers and Kings said, you know, we're out of this now. Actually, in the Kings case, I think they may think they got better for this year specifically. Um, but I, I think kind of an underappreciated or underreported part of this is the two things. One, I, I've said that because of the, the change in the lottery odds um, and the addition of the playing games that Edwin brought up, that there are uh, fewer sellers than normal. So that's going to that is going to that's not going to change demand. Right. But it is going to make those sellers in a better position. However, um, as it relates to Portland specifically, I think this was, uh, we've kind of underreported the tax implications of this or the money implications of this. And because so many teams have struggled uh, the last couple of years with COVID and not having fans and then partial fans and all of that kind of thing, um, I think the finances are driving these trades more so than they have in the past. And it is creating an even bigger division between the haves and the have nots, right? Like Portland yeah. is in a small Portland's in a small market. And what they've done is gotten significantly under the tax. They are theoretically going to be able to retool around Dame, although it wouldn't shock me if Dame gets traded. Um, and I still think Nurkic is going to get traded. But they have gotten under the tax. They've created cap space. I worked for the Blazers for nine, ten years. They're not getting any free agents. So max cap space is not going to matter in <laughs> yeah. Portland. But um, just being able to skirt the luxury tax matters for a lot of these teams. And because the financials of the league as it relates to the teams are not what they have been previously because of the pandemic the last couple of years and what that has done to the finances of the league, I think money is even playing an even bigger role than it does normally in some of these trades. Yeah, I, I mean, Jody Allen is also, you know, is it's, it's always kind of been a will she, won't she sell the team kind of situation out there. Once uh, Paul Allen passed away 
and she took over, you know, is she in for the long haul? Is this something, is she, is she, you know, kind of stripping down the organization uh, to be able to sell it with, uh, to, to somebody with the potential to really turn things around? Um, who knows? That's, that's, a, that's, a, well, that's, a, that's a really important point, and I hadn't thought of that. Uh, but that's a really important point, because if you are going to sell a team, doing so with the least amount, I mean, if you have superstars, fine, but with the least, the least amount of Long-term uh, salary. financial obligations going forward makes it more attractive and easier to sell a team. So that, that's a good point you just made. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, like you're saying, I think some of these situations are kind of unique. Uh, I, it makes me like if she's, let's say she's trying to get ready to, to sell the team. I don't think you trade Dame right before you sell that team. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't think that's something that she would probably get ready to do. Uh, that said, whoever buys the team is going to be walking into a, a really tough situation here where, you know, you have a, a, a rookie head coach in, in Chauncey Billups who has had his ups and downs. You have, a stripped down organization organization and probably a pretty frustrated superstar who, yeah, sure. He'll rap in, in a few more songs about how he's loyal and he's always going to stick it out with, with Portland. But like every time he does that, it, it seems like the friend that you're just saying like, yeah, you, you can say what you want, but the, the person that you're dating is, is not great. And, and so, uh, I, I just think, with Portland, I think, uh, to the Pelicans' credit, they took advantage of a situation here. The Clippers, same thing. They they saw an opportunity to strike, and and both of those teams, I think, walked away much better than they currently are. Uh, the Pelicans, we didn't really talk much about the C.J. McCollum trade and, and, and that, but I was surprised that they were able to get Nance out of it, too. Now, Nance has, for basically the entirety of his career, his— one of those players, when he's healthy, you really like what he does out there. Good guy, good off the court presence too. He's just not very often particularly healthy. Uh, but I was surprised that that New Orleans was able to get that. There's always that question hanging over that organization: Is Zion in shape? Is he committed to the team? Is he actually doing what he has to to be able to get onto the court? Will CJ matter at all in trying to convince him to do the things necessary to get out onto the court? Uh, but if, if he does, you know, that's an interesting team with, I, I, you know, I still worry about them a little bit defensively. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, Zion, especially like if it, cause when he was at his best, he was playing center, right? And he's not, he's not the kind of defensive center. He doesn't move around there like Draymond or, or he's not quite able to protect the rim consistently he has he's as explosive on the first jump as anybody but I, I've never really seen the second jump ability to be able to be a great rim protector uh, at that spot given some of the guys that he's going to be playing against but I mean they're they're a scary they're a scary five if they ever get healthy their starting group is scary so do you think I, he'll I, ever I, get healthy though like do you think I, I honestly did, is, is this somebody I don't, I don't, this is not the, the the indicators are not good yeah um, like it's it's yeah the indicators are not good but as but to go back to the earlier question like I, I think they are much scarier now than they were you know a couple days ago um, mm. as it relates to the Lakers in a, in a playing game I, I think the Pelicans are are like actually scary now if 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 right I mean Graham and CJ and Bi and Zion and and Valanciunas that's a that that's a that's a formidable that's a formidable starting group. Again, they're not going to guard anybody, but that is a formidable start starting group. Their bench, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and again, they're not going to guard anybody. 
but I, I think as it relates to this season, and you see, obviously, with David Griffin kind of obviously fighting for his job, um, I think that had to go that a lot of that was was included in this deal. But to answer your earlier question, I, I think I think New Orleans is is scary, at least in these one one game scenarios. I guess I'm not that nervous about him. You know, I, I, the, the teams, the teams that make me nervous in one game settings are the ones that can just shoot you out of a gym. And, you know, CJ can get crazy hot. Um, we've seen BI turn into a very special player on the wing. Um, but we don't know what we're going to get from Zion. If you're going to get anything from Zion. And I, I don't, I don't see enough shooters in new Orleans that I say like, okay, yeah, they, maybe they go out, they, they mess around and hit, you know, 25 three-pointers in a game. And now you're looking at like, you know, a deficit of 20 or so points in that, in that aspect of the game. Uh, those, those are the teams like when, when Dallas was super explosive offensively, that was the situation where I was like, I would really prefer not to face that type of explosive offense, but they became less explosive and a better team. So what the hell do I know? I, <laughs> I'm just some dude with a mic. Um, right. That's always, that was always the, um, the Houston question, right. When they were shooting, right. You know, 40, 53 is a game. That was, that was the Houston question. Uh, the variance question, right. There, there may be a game where they make 20 or 25 threes, but what do you do then? You lose. <laughs> right, uh, right. Right. It doesn't matter what else happens. You lose. But um, did you so, see that scenario here with the Pelicans? No, I, don't. I don't think they're, no, I don't think they're, I don't think they're that high variance, but I do think CJ and BI Graham could get going, but I do think CJ and B.I. and Zion, if, if, if he's ever Zion again this year. I mean, that's a group that's going to score some points. So that's, that's scary. It's not, they're not gonna, it's not going to be just a deluge of threes. But that is a group that can get hot and score a bunch of points. And in a one-game scenario, right, like in March Madness, yeah, you might be better than the other team. But in a one-game scenario, they may shoot 62% from the field and score 128 and you lose. Yeah, I, I I think that's Edwin. Are you nervous at all about the the Pelicans? I I I can't get myself to be that nervous about them. I'm not that nervous, but I think we have to remember, especially with the playing. If you weren't a flawed team, you wouldn't be in that situation. So everyone has like right, like the path for the Lakers to to lose is you know Russ is a terrible game. You know, AD is not that aggressive. He plays against the big that kind of cancels him out, and you know the, the shooting from the Lakers. Just you know, Malik isn't microwave monkey. He's kind of mediocre. Next thing you know, you're in a dogfight with the Pelicans, and you're like, is this really happening? Why are we down four with three minutes to go? That's the scenario, especially with one game. So it is kind of March Madness in the play-in. So this gives them, just like we have a puncher's chance now with those top two teams, this is their version of a puncher's chance against the Lakers. You, you hope you play well. You can play good enough defense. You get Zion back. It's a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda, what-ifs. But at least now you have a scenario where somehow you do win Versus, you know, uh, 24 hours ago, we're probably like, oh, they, they don't really have anything at all. So so now they're still hoping for a couple things to go their way, but at least they have hope and, you know, hope springs eternal. I, I will say against, as it relates to, to AD, if you're looking for an invested AD, I think a playoff or pseudo playoff game and tack on his former team, you're not going to get AD floating around. That's true. Yeah, that's true. He's going to definitely put up a 40 piece on them for sure. Yeah, that, that makes me a little bit more confident um, against them as well. All right, let's wrap on this. Uh, as we just talked about, the returns on some of these guys hasn't been overwhelming, and uh, we've known the Lakers' top offer now for a really long time, and that's always made me think, like in terms of negotiations, there's no real point 
in negotiating because you know exactly what the Lakers' best offer is going to be, and it's going to take them out of a lot of those initial trade talks, but it might heat up over the course of the next 24, 48 hours or so. So Aaron, you know, to this point, you've been telling people, hey, they're working on it, they're working on it, but maybe don't get your hopes up too high. Has the returns on some of these last couple trades made you rethink what the Lakers might be capable of? A little bit. Um, But I think it is more so because of the structure of some of these, these trades, not even so much the, um, the amount of return for whoever you think the name is going from one side to the other. I think, I think as it relates to the Lakers, perhaps the more interesting thing is not the diminishment of the market. I think it is more keep an eye on some of these names that have, have changed teams because the teams that they are going to are not going to have the emotional investment or even the financial or time investment in some of these teams. So I think it is possible, not just with the Lakers, but including the Lakers, that some of these guys that have just shifted teams maybe can get rerouted to other teams. So I think it opens up more possibilities because, you know, they're, they're, the new teams are not going to have as much investment in some of their guys, quote unquote, um, their new guys, as their former teams did in, in trading them. It, it's It's like GMs, they're humans, right? So, so there's a thing about, you know, you value your asset or your guy perhaps more than the rest of the league for a variety of reasons. Often it's because you drafted him or you found him or you have years with the, your team invested in him. So I think it's possible some of these guys get rerouted uh, very quickly. There's also, you know, that, that, that speaks to, to the buyout market as well. So I, I don't know that I'm like more optimistic, but it does provide more opportunity and, and definitely shift some things. So hopefully we'll see. And Hennessy is delicious. <laughs> this is this is like a <laughs> this is something that I, I think I've been pretty consistent on in terms of a what the Lakers I think need to do. I think they need a two way wing, um, and we've seen a couple of those move. You know now how good those two way wings are and the situations under which they're getting moved. But like Lamb. And Holiday were two guys that I had, you know, more on the outskirts of, but they were on my radar nonetheless. And, you know, it makes me think, all right, well, what what can... Yeah, it, it makes sense, you know. I, I Look, the Lakers, I do I agree with what they did back in the offseason? Clearly not. Obviously not. And do I agree with some of the things that they prioritized? Cl- clearly not. Obviously not. That said... I don't think they're idiots, and I think they they are very capable of understanding what they need and the pieces that they need to, to figure out if they are going to make a serious run at this championship, which, by the way, this year more than most, I would say it makes more sense to go all in than in, in most normal years because of all the injuries, because COVID is still a factor there, uh, because some of the teams that are at the top are still relatively unproven. Like Phoenix, they made that run last year, but I, and and I'm sure this will be super popular in Phoenix when I say this, but they also made that run while the entire Western Conference crumbled around them. Uh, so how much is that a factor in their run? And I think with, with the way that we're seeing, Milwaukee has not had Brooklyn, uh, has not had Brooke Lopez all year. Brooklyn is a straight up mess. Philly doesn't appear like they're going to be trading Ben Simmons and that's going to hang over their heads all year. It might, it might be something that they all rally around, but it also might be something that like every time they lose, they're going to be wondering 
man, what could have been if we had this guy? So, or we had a replacement for this guy. It's such a wide open league that I think the Lakers should probably push all the way in. But we got, you know, some information here from Jovan Buha and from Bill Orem that the Lakers are kind of sort of prioritizing that 2027 first rounder, uh, not just because it could be a very valuable asset in 2027 after LeBron, but also because if you package that with a 2029 pick that you can uh, move in this upcoming offseason, does that get you a better trade package then than the Lakers might have access to right now? Uh, it's it's an interesting conversation, Edwin. Where do you stand on on going all in or trying to keep some of that some of that powder dry uh, for a season where LeBron might not be dealing with knee stuff and and AD can enter a season with the same kind of body that he's currently playing better with now? I'm pretty torn to be honest. Um, I'm thinking about yes, of course, you got LeBron James. Go all in, do everything you can. But now I'm thinking 2027 as a Laker fan, 2029 as a Laker fan, 2028. You know, we know his contract's not, uh, I think next year's the last year that's guaranteed. And who knows what happens after that. Uh, and, and like you said, it, this is this team isn't a team that's third or fourth seed and just needs one move. We're talking about a puncher's chance and sacrificing two more first round picks for maybe a rotation player to help improve that puncher's chance is a tough thing to do. Uh, but so is also conceding that, hey, we're not going to try to get better. I, I don't agree with that either. You know, obviously, it, it's a tough, you know, you, you want a nicer car, you got to pay the bill, right? You know, there's not much, you, you can't cry about the insurance if you want a Ferrari. So so it's a tough spot. I think they have to try to go all in. And obviously, they don't want to panic or, or do a literally, you know, bad, dumb move. But they're going to have to try to sacrifice. This reminds me of the, you know, uh, early 2010s uh, with, with the Lakers giving up every draft pick, trying to keep the Kobe run going on for longer. It's probably a very similar situation. And we saw what the future that was, which is pretty rough. And I think the Lakers in the same spot, they have to try at least to try to get anything they can out of these last few, uh, uh, theoretically, LeBron years. So I think you have to go for it. But I am nervous about what the future will look like with no draft picks and and trying to rebuild in, in the post-LeBron era, whatever that is. Man, I don't... I. I think I'm 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 in the camp that would say, you know what, screw it, go for a championship this year and if it doesn't work out then it doesn't work out. But, you know, that's also the camp that would probably have traded for us and and I think, you know, you got to be smarter about what gambles that you make. Uh so I, I don't know. I, I I think I'm I think I'm Taylor is clearly on the table for me. Kendrick is clearly on the table for me cuz I don't think we're going to see Kendrick the, at all this season. That 2020 first rounder, you'd better be getting a pretty damn good player in return if you're including that 2027 first. Uh, I, I just think it, that's at a time where maybe Clutch has moved away from the Lakers altogether, and and you know some team out there is going to be gambling on, hey, what do the Lakers look like? No offense here, Aaron, and 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 Hennessy is particularly delicious while we talk about this, but like. <laughs> but I'm sure like, you know, whether it's Masai Ujiri, whether it's Sam Presti, whether it's even like somebody like Brad Stevens in Boston, who, you know, I think is pretty confident in his ability to stick around five years from now as well. Some team out there is probably going to be willing to give up a, a pretty good player for the opportunity to gamble on the Lakers not being able to figure it out once LeBron either departs or retires. Uh, and, and 
you know, I think that's something that the Lakers should try to take advantage of. By the way, the Lakers would be gambling on themselves too because if they win a championship here and they're able to figure stuff out after LeBron retires and that trade and that and that asset that you sent over for 2027 isn't that bad, then you absolutely came out way on top of this. Not, you know, not just in the terms of like, yeah, maybe the Lakers win number 18 here, but also just because like this is this is showing the fan base. No, we are willing to go and do whatever we have to 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 get that one more championship than Boston has right now. Especially if like in the in the in the uh action of doing so, you are potentially screwing Boston in 2027, which would be hilarious, right? So I don't I there's upside, there's downside to all this. I, I think the more I kind of talk about it, the more I think about it. Just because of how wide open this NBA season is, I think the Lakers should probably push closer to all in. Aaron, is that something that the Lakers are factoring in here from what you've heard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, yeah. Yeah. And I personally tend towards your viewpoint. Um, you know, you have to balance that with uh, looking towards the future because a lot of the people involved will still be here in 2027. Um, so you have to, you have to factor that in. I tend towards go all in. And the reason why is because, and, and, and fans, not just Laker fans, but fans are kind of a strange breed, right? Let's remember the Lakers won a goddamn title 16 months ago. Right. Um, so, but th- that banner, that banner that's up at crypto now, that hangs forever. Um, and the Lakers have a way of figuring it out. Um, there was there was kind of a dark period for a few years, sure. But the Lakers were able to acquire the assets and draft well enough that they could go get Anthony Davis. So I agree with you. And what I will promise everyone in here is um, those things that you were talking about are not lost on the decision makers with the Lakers and everybody is trying to win a title this year. What is the cost of that or the cost and a chance of that? And what do potential moves, how much of a percentage uh, Daryl Morey talks about this a lot. Like if you're going to make a move, how, what percentage is it increasing your championship odds, right? Is it increasing your championship odds from 1% to 3%? Is it increasing your championship odds from 10% to 11% or 10% to 15% or whatever? But those are our calculations that are being made presently. I can promise everyone in here. And there is not a lot of sleep happening in uh, <laughs> people around El Segundo and, and crypto because everybody wants to win right now. And, well, there's not um, much sleep sleep happening in Austin either. Like I, I'm not, I'm, yeah, but I'm not yeah, out. But that, but I'm not like comfortably that's, saying that's like, all right, they're gonna figure little, this that's out. That's because you have a little one. You care about that too. But that's also because <laughs> you have a little one. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's uh, that, that's on you. That's your decision. That, and insomnia. That the rest like, of it. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. like <laughs> I would just, I would just suggest drinking more. But, um, but what <laughs> I, I would say to everyone in here is, is that yeah, that is that is a consideration, and I tend towards. Like, do what you got to do to give yourself the best chance this year. Obviously, there are cap implications and availability of different players around the league that that um, impact that. But everybody that is making these decisions wants to win an NBA championship, whatever, four months from now. So, yeah, and I, I very and I very specifically push in that direction. 
so I, I the other the other aspect of this too is the message that it sends to future stars that you're going to one day be trying to convince to come to the Lakers is that while you're here and while we think we have a legit chance at winning a championship, we will be willing to push all in. Like that was part of the part of my blowback with the Caruso decision was like that signals to people even during a championship window, there are financial limits on what you're willing to do to compete and and those limits run uh you know greater than the teams that you're competing against like Steve Ballmer just doesn't like flat out doesn't care and we're talking about two different bank accounts and all of that and that's always worth taking into account but if the Lakers if like if a decent trade is on the table and that trade gets leaked and you find out that that's the kind of deal uh, and I'm just talking about a hypothetical one here, but if if we find out that like none, THT, and that first rounder could get you back the kind of player who does kind of push you over to the next tier of contender here and give you a legit a legit shot at winning a championship this year, and the Lakers chose not to because they have this eye on the future. I, if I'm a future superstar that's interested in potentially playing for the Lakers, I'm saying, well, hold on, like if 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 I get there. Are you going to be committed to winning with me or are you going to be always kind of looking to once I'm gone? And I think that's another aspect of this because the league does all talk to each other. Like LeBron has said specifically that the contract that Kobe got at the end of his career was something that kind of resonated throughout the NBA and saying that, yeah, the Lakers are loyal, maybe loyal to a fault, but loyal all the same. And that was something that you know, when, when these players would sit on, sit in on meetings with the Lakers with, they would know that they're sitting in on this meeting with a team that's going to be committed to winning as much as they possibly can while that superstar is around. And I think, you know, I liked Halen Horton, uh, Tucker a lot as, as a player. And I think one day if he gets into a more, uh, advantageous circumstance than he's in right now with the Lakers. I think I, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him uh, bloom into a, a better player. That said, I wouldn't care if he did so long as winning the championship, so long as the Lakers won the championship the year that they traded him away. Like that's, that's great. Fantastic Talon. Best of luck moving forward. But what I'm interested in is, is winning championships and you don't have opportunities at winning championships very often. Uh, all of that is, all of that is fair. I will just say again that um, the Lakers are trying to win and are willing to do what it takes to win a championship this year or give the best opportunity to win a championship this year. Are there are there constraints? Yes. Is this the last few years? Have they been a kind of unique scenario because of COVID? Yes, that's true also. And the finances and tax implications and salary cap and all of that matters. But uh, the Lakers are trying to win this year, period. Are there some certain Good. buyout uh, people that you're interested in? Um, and oh, yeah. Like, I know Thaddeus Young and people like that that you're thinking, hey, kind of had to. I'm going to go ahead and leave that. Add a I'm going to leave that for Anthony. Conceptually, yes, there are buyout guys that are of interest. Yeah. I, I, games, I, that's going to have to be Anthony because Hennessy is delicious. Basically, if it's a wing out there who is capable of playing in an NBA game right now, that is somebody who the Lakers probably do and should have on their roster or on their radar when, when the buyout market comes. So Thaddeus Young is probably at the top of that list. Uh, apparently, if Torian Prince doesn't get 
uh, moved here from Minnesota that he's interested in in getting bought out. That's another one that might be uh, worth looking at. Uh, we we got to see with some of the guys that were traded today if they're going to be sticking around long term, um, whether that's Lamb or, or Holiday or or uh, any of the other guys. I, I think Eric Bledsoe is kind of an underrated uh, buyout candidate because of how little money is guaranteed on his contract next year. Uh, and if if he does become available, I would imagine that the Lakers with the clutch ties would probably be very interested in bringing him in. That said, adding another guard here probably means that they will have already traded Talon and or none. And then, you know, you have the minutes crunch there if you're bringing in Bledsoe with Russ and with Monk and with Reeves and all of that. But but it, basically, to answer the actual question, any six, five to six, nine player with a pulse is somebody who I have on my radar right now. <laughs> like that's, that's, it's such a position of need. Like Stanley Johnson, I like Stanley Johnson a lot, but it really t- says a lot of, of how uh, bad the, the, the Lakers were in that position and, and that type of player that a G League, G leaguer basically was able to come in and assume a starting role with the team. Like that's wild. Uh, even give, even given the things that I like about his game, that doesn't normally happen with a, with a championship contender. Uh, same goes for Austin Reeves and great story, all of that. But usually you undrafted rookie. Well, yeah, he, uh, Avery Bradley is starting because Frank, but, but like he, uh, I don't think he's, he's earned that starting position in my opinion, but, but Reeves like Reeves. Yeah. Like Reeves though, like normally an undrafted free agent rookie uh, would not be getting the amount of hype that he gets, uh, and there's some other factors here too. Like you know, you have to you have to take into account like you know, somebody looking white and awkward and all of that, and and playing the way that he does. There's there's some uh, amount of interest that is just like, oh hey, Caruso again, and and so like that's always going to be a factor too. But normally, a player with his background doesn't isn't inserted into closing lineups with a championship contender. And the reason that he and Johnson have earned themselves those spots, and don't get me wrong, they have earned those spots. The reason that they have been able to, because there was nobody at those spots before they, they, they jumped into those, into those roles. So I, I would like to see more competition for Johnson, for Ariza, uh, for Mello at that wing spot than the Lakers currently have right now. No, yeah, I agree. Uh, really impressed with Reeves as well. I'm surprised he hasn't really hit a rookie wall. Think about how many minutes he's playing every single night with such intensity and the, and the role he has defensively. You know, we, he's on the floor. You remember that, that Wedding Crashers uh, joke? like, why every time I look, you're on the floor? He's on the floor <laughs> every minute of the game. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just impressed with him. He's been so impressive. But you're right. On a, on a team like the Warriors and Suns, you probably he barely gets a rotation if he's lucky because of the depth and quality of the team. So it, it's a great thing for him and for the Lakers that he's so good. But it's a negative that you absolutely need him due to the yeah. lack of depth. Yeah, I I think while we have been talking, Reeves just got hit in the face. It's the, it's the craziest thing. He just walks around, and gets decked in the face all the time. Um, all right, we are now we're into this thing. I still have to download the audio and throw it into and turn it into a, a podcast. So that's what I'm going to do here next. Thank you very much, Edwin and Aaron, for chiming in the way that you did. Um, it always is is I, I love doing this stuff. I I really can't wait for Thursday when we do so from SB Nation's account and I get to get yelled at by Boston fans. That's you're gonna want to tune in for that just because that's always fun. 
Um, until then and until later today, I'm Anthony Irwin. That was Aaron Larsoul. And this has been the Silver Screen Roll Podcast Network. <laughs>